when I was leaving, I felt like my biggest complaint was that the ex-Mormon YouTubers and podcasters out there that I was that I was watching were really unfair, that they mm -hmm. their criticisms were extremely biased. And it really bothered me because as someone who is really sensitive and still really loved my Mormon roots and my Mormon heritage, it like I couldn't stomach watching those things. So I tried to provide content that was a little bit um, less abrasive and um, more genuine because I, I felt like a lot of the criticisms I were I was hearing were were not valid. Yeah, well, see, with me, it's always, I really, really, really hate looking stupid. <laughs> and so I watch people and I see what things make them look stupid. And I say, okay, I don't want to do that. And I think you look really stupid when you unfairly criticize something. Like when you, sure. like when the rules of engagement for the church is different than the rules of engagement for any other organization. here today with um, Morgan from My Spiritual Life and her husband, Jared. So um, yeah, and Jared's also a frequent guest on Porch Time with Chris and Flip. So oh, yeah. and a frequent guest on My Spiritual Life as well, I noticed. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys and just how there's more than one way to ex-Mormon. And um, I guess... Yeah, just kind of hear about where you guys have gone. Where where will you go? As Elder Ballard said, like, where have you gone? Wait, can and, I first? Oh, yes. wait, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to. Go ahead. Out. No, I, then I was just going to say introduce yourself. So, yeah, well, just as a as a preface to it all, you said, you know, there's more than one way to ex-Mormon. But first, I just want to line up the way that most people will do it, which is that you just have to hate Mormonism. You have to hate Mormons. You have to hate everything about it. You have to hate your childhood. That's that's the one way to do it. That's one way. That is one way to do it. Yeah, I don't recommend. Yeah, the way that we do it is that, like, <laughs> now we love porn. We... <laughs> uh, we opened our marriage. Oh, no, no, no. People are going to think um, you're serious. That's how... <laughs> messed up things have gotten in this community <laughs> okay so as an introduction to us i'm morgan um i grew up in st louis i met jared at byu i do in book of mormon class in book of mormon class so we were um we got married 2013 and then jared left the church pretty shortly after and then i left a couple years later um and uh i started vlogging about it that's that's what my my spiritual life channel is and yeah, now we talk we talk about religious stuff. I do a lot of interviews for people from various religious backgrounds that have left those religions, but also I talk a lot about just self-improvement and um, you know, working through perfectionism, black and white thinking, um, anxiety, you know, a lot of stresses that come from being raised in a high demand religion. Uh, did you want to say anything else about yourself? Nope. You got it. He's sexy. <laughs> That's good. Good. Okay. Well, okay, so, um, yeah, so what you, I guess you were already blogging. So, what motivated you to start your channel? And I wanted to be famous. <laughs> and, well, okay, so it's the purpose. So, I guess you did describe your purpose a little bit there. Um, so, it's, it's not necessarily to bash on the church, like a lot of, 
A lot of people do yeah. it. I wouldn't even call it bashing on the church though. There's a, there's a time and a place for that stuff, right? Like I went sure, through yeah. a phase where I was, it was very fascinating to learn all the things that I wouldn't touch with a nine foot pole before. Right. Yeah. So there's a place for it, but it doesn't seem like there's anywhere that helps you. I, I think people find it not together, right? They kind of leave Mormonism, they get into ex-Mormon world, and then they leave ex-Mormon world and they go all different ways. So there's just not a big group of them. But I think a lot of people do move on. Is my when, I, when I was leaving, I felt like my biggest complaint was that the ex-Mormon YouTubers and podcasters out there that I was that I was watching were really unfair, that they mm. that their criticisms were extremely biased. And it really bothered me because as someone who is really sensitive and still really loved my Mormon roots and my Mormon heritage, it like I couldn't stomach watching those things. So I tried to provide content that was a little bit um, less abrasive and um, more genuine. Because I, I felt like a lot of the criticisms I were I was hearing were were not valid. Yeah, well, see, with me, it's always, I really, really, really hate looking stupid. <laughs> and so I watch people and I see what things make them look stupid. And I say, okay, I don't want to do that. And I think you look really stupid when you unfairly criticize something. Like when you, sure. like when the rules of engagement for the church is different than the rules of engagement for any other organization, you have to be principled, right? And so, I was very much like, oh, burn it down, you know, like real angry for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, there's probably a good like year, year and a half where I read every single post on the ex-Mormon subreddit, like all of them. I would sort for new and refresh. All, like I was obsessed. But I remember I remember somebody pointing out the the high youth suicide rates in Utah. And they were blaming it on Mormonism. And I was like, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, let's burn it down. So let's talk about this. So we got to, like, we don't want to look stupid, obviously. So let's make sure this is fair. Let's make sure it's actually the church's fault. So so what do we got on this? Where's our data coming from? Um, do, have we compared it to other highly religious places, suicide rates? Have we, like, thought if there's any other explanation? Because if you want like if, if you want to get to the truth of something you have to try every way you can to falsify it right and right. Uh, i i asked these questions and like i was like scowled at like it like i was chewed out for questioning this like of course are you are you questioning people's lived experiences and yeah i am <laughs> like i <laughs> Just like you did in Mormonism when they say their experience is that it's true, right? That's it's not funny. a valid yeah. way of knowing the way Yeah, it's funny yeah. because I remember having some zone leaders on my mission who told us that, okay, now the new rule is you got to baptize. You got to invite to baptism on the first visit every single time. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, oh, well, we received revelation from the Lord that this is what we're supposed to do. And I was like, no, you didn't. And like, <laughs> are you questioning our revelations, like, yeah, I don't think you got that from God. That's stupid. <laughs> and I, I got the same kind of response out of that type, like that side of zealotry as I did off of questioning the narrative behind this youth suicide problem. And I, like, I wasn't even like, I was ready for this to be the answer. Like, yeah, blame the church on everything bad. I'm so mad at it. And and I just asked the wrong questions. I guess. Or the right questions. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I, it's interesting you put it that way, fair, because that's kind of how 
I feel it can be as well. There's some people that are more fair than others, for sure, that are uh, creating content that are uh, just highlighting church history and stuff. But there's definitely some that are more fair than others. And yeah, it's so easy. I think, I think, I don't know. I'd like to say that I'm trying to do a better job of that, but I don't think I'm good at it either. And so my solution has been to like maintain friendships across all kinds of differences. So like, I think it's good to maintain friendships with people that are kind of on the progressive side of politics. I think it's good to maintain friendships with um, actual members. Cause it's just like the way they act is not the way that it's so interesting. It's just, uh, I don't know. That's a tangent. So, but they yeah. Act so in a way that's, that's, that, no, I, yeah. Yeah. They act in a way that shows that they believe differently than what they say. Yeah. Well, well for example, um, there's a, for the most part, it seems like the fundamental thing it people kind of know what a wise thing to do is, or they know what a good thing to do is. They know to, you know what a good friend is, right? Like a good friend is someone that wants the best for you and they're happy for when good things happen to you, right? And they're not competitive with you, right? You have good friendships. And and those friendships don't seem to be divided by ideologies. Like you can have someone that's more progressive that is a really good friend, and you can have a Mormon friend that's a really good friend too, that they want the best for you. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Like how, how people are acting is way more important than what they say they believe. Like, sure it is. I guess like I, I'm willing to be friends with anyone really. And like, I don't cut off people for being progressive. It's just that they usually cut me off for not being so like, yeah. I, I don't think I've had, I can't think of people who have like cut off contact with me for leaving Mormonism, even at my angriest, but like I can think of a lot of people who won't talk to me or who like deleted me on Facebook or whatever because because they're progressive. So mm-hmm. like I'll talk to anyone about anything. You can come to me oh and God. tell me that you're a, a nihilist or whatever, and I think nihilism is stupid. But I'll <laughs> listen to you and I'll like I'll hear you out and I'm what? Oh, I was just gonna say something. no. That I mean that was all I was really gonna say. I read this book, um, Coddling the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. He's a social psychologist. It's a great book. Um, I read it. In that, good. Book, I'm, in that book, there's a study he talks about. I'm going to butcher it a little bit because I don't remember exactly, but it was about tribalism, right? And how our brains are are so inclined to that, that group thinking, that group, you know, mentality and like protecting and being worried about people who are in our group. And he talked about how like, I think they were doing like pricking people with needles and it would show like a label, like if that person was Christian or if they were Republican or conservative or whatever, and they were watching what was happening to that person's brain and the, the brain would like their, um, their signals of distress would get way higher when it was someone that was associated with their group that was like un- getting hurt. Right. And so, um, that, speaks very loudly to how biased we are innately that we don't often realize. So I just thought your solution of being friends with people across different um, backgrounds, uh, across different beliefs and things like that, it was like a great solution because that keeps you um, from sinking into that tribalistic kind of innate, uh, it, you know, uh, what, what would you call it? Like a no, baseline yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've also found some flaws with it too, though. Like I find I can't identify with any tribe or any group. And I wonder if there's some healthiness to just being able to participate with a group and honestly be a little 
one-sided and biased and make fun of another group or you know what I mean like but anytime I see any of that I'm so skeptical of groups I can't be fully in any group like I feel it's so funny because in my very first podcast I there was a quote by Maya Angelou that was brought to my attention by Brene Brown and it's like you can belong anywhere and no place something something and that makes a lot of sense to me but at the same time it's not easy. Like it's, it's almost like it's just easier just to be part of a group, be choose a tribe, choose a side. Like how much more fun is it to watch sports when you want one of the teams to win? Like if you're just, yeah. but Very it's, also, boring. Don't care. Yeah, it's nice to like look for good uh, sports or uh, good athleticism or whatever and see good play. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be, sometimes I'll be like at a football game and I'll be like, Oh wow, that was good. And and my husband will be like, that was the other team. Who are you rooting for? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's like, so I don't know. The, You're too some, individualistic, Marty. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's totally healthy, though, because it's almost like you need to participate in a group at some level. But maybe you can get that, that group um, inclusion from everybody, right? Like the human family or whatever. I don't know. Sure. Uh, well, right, right. I think, like... I don't know. Me and my friends will talk a lot about. So I think there's evolutionary reasons behind being tribal. I mean, there's obviously evolutionary reasons, but I would say that like along with biological evolution, there's also probably some type of a societal evolution. And I think within the societal evolution, there are um, there's a place like you need a large portion of your society to be mourning people for the most part but like you do need a couple of people that are more like night people it's not that doesn't mean that they're wrong for being night people they're a little bit different maybe but like you need the people to be the guards at night or whatever to take the night shift Mm -hmm. and i'd say yeah yeah. it it makes sense that there's a large subset of people who are um the majority of people are probably pretty tribal but then there's a smaller amount of people who have sort of a disdain for that tribalism and and because i never fit into groups either like i I get what you're saying and there's like always this nagging voice in the back of your head when when you get into a group that every time you know they say something about like well our group is the best because blah you just go yeah (laughs) but you know and you get annoyed with yourself because like i don't you don't want to nitpick everything but right i think society needs i think we've evolved to be that way like that that's what you're supposed to be and other people are supposed to be you know a little bit more tribal maybe they should be less so though. i don't know well and I, one thing it's done for me is when i see people engaging in that tribal instinct it's like i don't have a lot of judgment toward it like i hope that they can grow up and gain wisdom and see what they're doing but at the same time it's just like i i, I don't know that i'm i've perfected that either like so I don't know. It, it gives me a lot more room to just be patient with people, I guess, if I see them acting in a way that's biased. Well, at some point it you realize it's seems that, normal to me. Yeah, at some point There's you realize you're a lot you're a lot better at seeing like ugly behavior in other people than you are in yourself. So yeah. you assume that they're probably the same way too. Like maybe I'm doing a lot of ugly things that I'm unaware of and they are very much aware of. Well, right, so it's compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's well, this idea of projection too, where you're noticing 
uh, things yeah. that you actually have a problem with in others a lot. Like that is a thing. I definitely think that's, that's a thing. That's definitely a thing. I, I was going to say, um, I think that there's nothing more annoying than like a Mormon who's like, there's nothing wrong with Mormonism. But I think that that applies in the same way with ex-Mormons. Like, there's yeah. nothing more annoying than an ex-Mormon who's like, they're wrong about everything. <laughs> and so I think that um, trying to find that middle ground is is ideal. You know, I think it's more, uh, there's more integrity in it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get to that space. That's yeah, actually I'm... probably my biggest criticism of criticizers is that they will blame the ideology or the belief system or whatever it is on the thinking when it's actually a human thinking problem. It's a, it's a, it's a thinking problem that it goes across all ideas or all religions, if that makes sense. So like, for example, I'll hear, um, I'll hear people say, Oh, Mormons do this, this, and this, and that makes them bad. And I'm like, well, actually all humans do that to a certain level. Like, so you're, right, you're, right. you're pointing out the bad human behavior that all humans participate in and you're blaming it on mormonism and that's not fair like does, yeah, does that make sense I, yes and i think that's what you should be thinking because i think that there's a lot of disingenuous disingenuousness going on when people are criticizing things yeah yeah and and that goes true that's true for and i um i still need to talk to chris because that's that's probably it's i don't know it I have as much aversion, I guess, to anti-Mormon as I do to anti-woke stuff, if that makes sense. Well, I think too. I like, might I... have more aversion to, like, well, you know, that's that's a tangent. Anyway, I just, we're just going to ride that out. So there's some people, <laughs> the thing is you can run into people who are unfair, like, like people who uh, jump on everything. Like, so there's this game we're playing right now. It's called It Takes Two. Right. And it's this, um, it's your, it's a two player game on the PlayStation where you're a husband and a wife, you get turned in, you're, you're going through a divorce and you get turned into these toys and you got to work together to solve these problems or whatever. And my friend told me about this game and his reaction to it was Im immediately to get on the defensive because in the game, the, like the woman is the breadwinner and the man is the stay at home dad. And he kind of immediately was like, oh, are they trying to like, is this, is this forced diversity or whatever? Like, and then he's like, okay, you, you guys propaganda down. because yes, like, yes. this is, it's the year 2022 and somebody is making a video game about maybe don't rush to get divorced. Like the whole thing is like, right. don't like you're tearing this little girl's heart out, your, your daughter and it's terrible on her, maybe try to see if you can save this thing. Yeah. And I'm getting all hung up on the fact that they swapped the gender roles. Now, I think they swapped the gender roles on purpose because I think that it's almost like they know that the man is going to play as the man and the wife is going to play as the wife if you played as a married couple. And so maybe it's there's more you can have more sympathy for the opposite gender role or whatever. But mm. it was just that's that's an example of people getting like a little bit trigger happy it's it's when they don't quite know what they stand for yeah. they, they just know what they stand against mm. and that's like it's all right to start there it's all right to like look at something and be like okay i know that's wrong 
Yeah. But then you got to explain why that that's when you like, I don't know, you've talked about it before the whole, an anti-identity isn't an identity. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's true. So when you see something ugly, you say that's ugly and you can just, you can either try to tear down all things ugly, or you can explain to yourself why, what principle is guiding you that this ugly thing violates. So mm -hmm. obviously that's, the direction you have to take your criticisms if you want them to be consistent yeah yeah and it's tough too when there's something laced with propaganda that doesn't mean there's not something beneficial there too uh i think i've heard jordan peterson talk about that how there was a he collects all that propaganda art from uh around his house and he finds it interesting yeah. how the truth still comes through right like so even though you forced the general role like on there and it probably is probably it is probably because of the culture we're in, there's probably still some benefit to that game, right? And so if you're not willing to participate yeah. at all, then I don't know. Just if you know where you're standing, then you don't have to worry about being sucked in. You already know for what like you already know what you stand for. It is irritating though. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's irritating anything's in your face too much. But yeah, I think I think okay, so talking about ex-Mormons, right? Specifically, how they demonize everything Mormon, everything religious, everything, right? And mm -hmm. you know, and I was in that stage too. Um, one thing I've learned about the psychology behind that is that when we don't know how to validate our pain then we will make the person or entity or thing that hurt us way more evil than they actually were. And when we set this thing up that hurt us to be way more evil than it actually was, it's a weird subconscious way that we validate our pain. Hmm. We're like, look how awful, awful, awful this thing was. And then we like, we feel some relief. We're like, Oh, like, yeah, my pain is, my pain matters. Like my pain is real. And it's, so it's a weird, like unhealthy um, self validation going on. Yeah. And I, um, Stephanie, which I think you guys know, Stephanie, she was uh, like my second episode and we were talking a little bit about that. And, and she put it this way that kind of helped it for me. And she was just like, maybe you have to kind of go through that, uh, not seeing any good in it to just separate yourself enough from it to actually be able to see it for what it is. And then you can just, and then you can be done with that phase too. Like maybe it's just yeah. A, yeah. a way to objectively be able to objectively look at it and not be, cause I mean, if, I don't know. I've said this to my husband. It scares the shit out of him. And he's, I've been like, I could, I could totally be like participate in the church. Like if you hadn't left, I, I could still do it. Like, I don't think I'd have a problem. Maybe that's not true. I know it was really hard for the first few weeks after everything collapsed, just because it feels like there's this really huge thing that needs to be talked about and nobody's talking about it. Right. Yes. The <laughs> elephant in the room. I, I actually feel very similarly to that. I've been saying to Jared, I'm like, maybe I should take the kids to church occasionally, like <laughs> to get to know the neighbors more. Like, do I think it's true? No, but I have yeah. so little resentment around it now that I'm like, I could sit there and enjoy, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and now like, how realistic is that? I don't know because, you know, the more they talk about Joe Smith, the more I might be like, oh, this is a mistake. Like, this is just weird, you know? But I do feel, I just feel so removed from it that I, I feel like I can appreciate the good again and I can kind of like, oh, this is just no big deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so are there, so this is a good way to segue. Like, are there, what are the things you miss, if anything, about participating 
at church. The guilt. <laughs> you miss that. You don't feel guilty anymore. I don't think Jared misses anything about Mormonism. I, I miss a lot. I miss the community. Um, they, they were, mean, I hear that a lot. Like, what do you mean by that? What kind what of? What I mean by that is I. I loved feeling like I had my word family, like all these people that I knew that I saw every week, it felt like safe, you know, in some respect, like there was these people that had your back when you had a baby, they brought you meals, like, and it was also people that you could love, you know, like I can love these people. I can serve these people. And it felt nice that that was just organized all on its own. Cause it's a lot of work to build your own community it's like a lot easier just to be assigned it <laughs> and that can take some of the authenticity <laughs> out of it but it was still um something i really appreciated like we would move there's always like a new family that we could start building with that you know with that new ward um so i liked that aspect and i will say that i really liked relief society um and i i really just i felt like a lot of women in the wards i was in were um, very genuine and sharing very authentically, even though they were using a lot of Mormon jargon I don't agree with anymore. I still felt like they were genuine and they shared very deeply and I felt very connected to them in those instances. So that, that's some things off the top of my mind is just that community aspect. I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's anything I really miss about it. Like I, they, there's a lot they get right. And but it's more like going back to that never being part of the group thing because I'm very much the same way. I don't really care to be part of groups. I have like a few friends and um, I like being around them. They challenge me when I'm being an idiot, and you know it's not much of an echo chamber. But like, I guess that's probably a way that I need to change a little bit. Is that? I grew up not really seeing value in the whole community aspect of it. Um, and now I'm, I'm kind of like, I guess that's something that can I be valuable. It, it, I should value it, even though I can't quite bring myself to do that. And so like, to me, it's, yeah, there's some things that would probably be beneficial to like taking the kids every now and then, but it sounds like such a chore to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the times that we've gone back to church, you know, haven't been like triggering or anything like that. They're just like boring. I could be doing something better with my time, right? Yeah. That's I, what it feels like. I think the last thing I'll say about community-wise is I, I do feel like the ideal um, reason you want a community support is because if you have that underlying safety net of feeling like you have support in your life, you will be lifted to higher heights than you could be on your own um, because you can take much riskier behavior. Uh, well, you can, you can do much scarier, more courageous acts than you, than you otherwise could because you have that safety net that has your back. Um, so you don't need Mormonism for that, but. Right. Yeah. You can cultivate. You can, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You can cultivate like your own. A community like in friend groups and stuff like that it's just a lot harder to do for sure and i would argue that the way that the church does it by like geographic region you're going to get a, a bigger variety of different ideas because it's people that live close to you and they may um be like for example you could have someone that's like left-leaning in their politics and stuff and so you're going to be able to hear what they think about a lesson that 
at church, like if you're in your Sunday school lesson and you're going to be able to hear everybody's opinions, which could be beneficial. They might bring something to light that you didn't know about. Right. Whereas if like you're, if you're going out and cultivating your own community, you would might have a higher chance of being an echo chamber. Right. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, the other Yeah. So I just wanted to add to that. The thing I think I miss the most is um, it, at least weekly, I was thinking about ways I can improve myself. And now it's not that I, I don't think about that anymore, but just that ritual, um, I do miss that. Like I'm fascinated by other ritualistic practices from other religions. Cause I feel like they do it probably better than Mormonism, but um, yeah. like, like sacrament, like just that time where everything's, they try to make it as quiet as possible so that you can reflect and be like, and when you think about renewing your baptismal covenants, it was always like, well, think back on the past week. Did you accomplish the things you wanted to accomplish? What are those things you want to accomplish? Like, are you getting there? Kind of um, just checking in, you know, and not being an autopilot all the time. So I, I agree with that. I like, I like ritual. <laughs> I think, I think we are very tribalistic, ritualistic human beings. Yeah. And I think if we don't have rituals in our life, then we, we, uh, we make rituals out of weird things that we probably shouldn't like mm -hmm. our cell phones and things like that. You know, we are, we're very ritualistic, but like, I, I guess my sticking point is kind of like in order for the ritual to have any value, I have to actually believe in it. You know, that's because I think that sacrament can be very valuable to some people. And, and even in like Catholic mass, there's a lot of symbolism and, and stuff like that. But like, I, I'm like, I have to, Right. I don't think I could go to participate in it be the same way now. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what yeah, I know. So that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know really what the answer is because like you probably, I'm pretty convinced that people are just by and large religious or probably better off if people are going to church, like your society is probably better off if more people are going to church and, um, but I don't want to do it. And <laughs> And I don't know how to tell somebody to just pragmatically go to church because maybe it, it'll be better for them. Cause like I, in order to go to church and get anything out of it, I would have to, like, I'd have to believe that the things in the book of Mormon really happened. I'd have to believe that Joseph Smith really saw God, you know, I, and I don't, I don't, I can't quite wrap my head. We had this discussion on try praying about it. <laughs> yeah. No, we had this discussion on porch time and I think you and I were, pretty much on the same page and Chris and flip were really trying to explain this idea of metaphorical truths. Right. I don't, I can't, I know like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris were arguing about that. And I like, I, I can't get my head around the idea of a metaphorical truth, like uh, something that like going to church, like if everybody going to church would make society better then you know, Jordan Peterson might say that's metaphorically true. The church is metaphorically true, but like, and maybe you can have metaphorical truths, but if they contradict literal truths, I don't know how you can call them metaphorical truths. You know what I'm saying? Like, because if it's metaphorically true that going to church is great and, and, and Joseph Smith was a prophet or whatever, but <laughs> literally he wasn't. So that I don't no sense to me. I would just, why not just say going to church is helpful. Why do you have to say it's metaphorically true? I don't know. 
Well, that was our big discussion. Oh, I see. Well, <laughs> okay, so here's something. What if there's something going on that we don't understand, right? And that's where like the faith bit comes in. And the thing that I think, I read this book called The Sin of Certainty by Peter Enns, and he's a Christian that kind of goes through, he definitely goes through a faith crisis. And he stayed Christian. He got kicked out of the church he was going to because he wasn't a literal enough believer, right? But he talked about the sin of certainty and just how um, being certain about something is actually the problem. Like I would say if the certainty didn't exist at church, I could actually stay there. That the thing that I felt guilty about is that everyone is aiming you toward being sure about the, the core tenets. And it's almost like you shouldn't, you shouldn't actually say what the core tenets are because once you like solidify it, then all of a sudden it can be not true anymore. <laughs> so yes, maybe, yes, I, I like maybe, maybe the true thing is the going to church and the practice bit and they shouldn't rely so much on the certainty of what it is that is, but it's hard to, congregate around an idea when it's not solidified too so it's just paradoxical and if john smith had been a lot more theoretical <laughs> we would we'd be in a different place right mm -hmm. but he was just he was so literal with all of his you know his explanations of things yeah. but well and i think what you're hitting on too is that that certainty with that certainty comes that arrogance but also that um ignorance you know, of like, okay, I'm not listening anymore because right. I have all the answers. And that's, yeah. that's cult like behavior. And you can see that in politics. You can see that everywhere. And there's nothing that's, that's more um, absurd to me than someone who just thinks that they know everything in any situation. Um, and, and that's, I feel like that's, that's how you can define a cult is they have that certainty of we have all the answers and that us versus them mentality. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. All right. So back to our the little brainstorming thing then. So um, what is it that you wish the secular world could do better then? I guess it's probably the things that you liked maybe. I don't know. But yeah, the secular world. What could the lacking. secular world do better? Stop pretending they're not religious. <laughs> Tell people to be Christian. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we are so jaded on this because... I think that Frederick Nietzsche, you know, said that uh, God is dead. We killed him. And I think he's right. And I think we killed him without a backup plan. And I think ideally people would found their lives on morals and principles that were solid and had solid footing, but they don't because like you said, they're religious. Then they turn things like politics or other things into religion or activism into their religion. Yeah. And it just creates a big mess. Yeah. It Kind of just the whole idea of deriving an ought from an is, right? Because you've got, like, I've read an, another unpopular opinion. I've read a lot of Ayn Rand, and, like, I like a lot of what she has to say, but also, like, she seems to have this naive faith in rationality. Like, she thinks that you can derive morals from rationality. And Sam Harris has said the same thing. Clearly, he's wrong about that. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> um, but I what I would say for like the secular society, they, they love to pretend um, that they're not religious and, and they are. I saw this discussion between uh, Jordan Peterson and Lawrence Krauss and Lawrence Krauss is a really good physicist. Um, he's an irritating person. I can't stand him. <laughs> um, 
But I'm, I'm impressed with him though that he was even willing to talk to Jordan Peterson. To be honest, I, yeah, I was very impressed. I didn't think yeah. that he would be. But like, I, I watched that thing, and he explains to he explains to Jordan Peterson um, that no, you don't understand. Scientists love to be proved wrong. They love to be proved wrong because that's what science is. It, it's constantly it's changing based on new information. It's like no, no, no. That's what science ought to be but it's from that's not scientists cool. that's not scientists that's science science that's not yeah. scientists yeah. scientists are humans yeah Sorry. well and and he's like jordan peterson's like i don't think that's true and lawrence Krauss is like let me give you an example for the longest time you know it was believed i personally believed that most physical matter was found in bodies like planets and stars and things like that um but I made a discovery that actually most physical mass is like floating in space. And see, I was happy to be proved wrong there. I was like, yeah, but you proved yourself wrong, man. That was like, you, you're, and you're acting like you're taking this ideal version of what a scientist would be, somebody who is like grateful to be proven wrong because it just brings you closer to the truth and saying that's how it is right now that's that's what this is and that's how a lot of the secular world treats science and they kind of just say you know trust the science follow the experts whatever and it, <laughs> follow the experts <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know how they can't see parallels there you know and 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 they try to it's it's like they pretend that science and scientists are already the ideal version of what they could be. Right. And obviously it's really easy. And, and this isn't knocking the idea of science. Like obviously we have a lot of cool stuff because of our ability to do that. And I think it's taking, taken a community of people to do that. Actually, it's not one person that was able to develop a lot of the things we enjoy as far as um, ease of life, but what can um, the secular world do better um tell people to not trust their feelings <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good start be consistent about that though right wait what do you mean you said to not tell people to not trust their feelings right right and be consistent like they're they're more than willing to actually do that for religious people yeah, oh, that's, they'll, they'll funny. Say that. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that in context. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, though? The whole lived experience thing, I have mixed feelings about because obviously, if people have different experiences, they're going to have a different way of looking at something and bring something to the table. Like that whole idea of diversity is not necessarily bad. The problem with the way it's being implemented is that it is not diversity, it is you are going to think like we think, and that's how we know you're diverse. And it's like, no, that's not like, it, yeah. it matters more about what you think than what your experience was like. Well, and you're not allowed to have an opinion on a certain topic unless you have directly been impacted or, or lived through that experience. And, and that's, that's like, that's absurd. Like I, I'm white but I can have an opinion that slavery is wrong. Like just cause I'm, you know, like they'll, you know, cause you'll hear people say, well, you can't have an opinion about that thing. Cause you're not that thing. And it's like, yeah. what, 
how how is that the case? Luckily, you can be anything though now. So, <laughs> so, so I, now, I can be a black man, yeah, so, and I can have an opinion about slavery being wrong. That's anytime somebody <laughs> tells me when talking about abortion, no uterus, no opinion. I just lie to them and tell them that I have a uterus, <laughs> and they say, "Ah, oh, shit." Well. Mind your own uterus. And I'll be like, see, you didn't really think that in the first place. <laughs> Mind see. your own uterus. Yeah. Like, I'm going to start saying that to you. Yeah. Church, shut up. <laughs> Mind your own uterus. <laughs> yes, next fight you guys have, please do. Because <laughs> that would lock the yeah. Um. Okay, so are there, okay, so are there things that you wish Latter-day Saints could do better? Like... I, I mean, we've talked a little bit about them, but... I'll be honest. Be honest. Mormons are absolutely terrible at being honest. Just be not honest. That they're, not that they're not these, like, pernicious liars or anything, but they'll, there's so much pressure on them to represent their, the church that, I don't know, they do, they can tend to, like, put forth this persona of, like, I don't have any problems with you because I'm so, such a peaceful person or whatever. Tell somebody when they're being assholes. Mormons don't do that. They don't, they're nice and people act like that's the best part about Mormons, but no, they're too nice. Stop being nice. Like, <laughs> Be honest, know. be more honest. It's not authentic and you don't grow. Yeah. And I, I would say, I think primary problem with Mormons is, is that they, they don't trust themselves, but it's kind of like a, it's, it's one of those problems that like, I don't, I don't know how you fix it without like viewing the church as not perfect. Well, the way you do it is by just, I don't know. They, they very much misunderstand um, the whole contention is of the devil thing, right? That they make that out to be like, never, ever engage in contention. It, it's the same as if you were saying violence is just always wrong. Never do it. Like, no, it's seeking out violence is wrong. Seeking out contention is probably wrong. But, like, violence Being willing to contend with something that's not right is a good thing. Yeah, if somebody's doing something wrong, if something's hurting somebody else, then you have to jump into contention. And Mormons are very, very slow to do that. They're, they're very risk-averse and conflict-averse, and they need to cut that shit out. Mm -hmm. that, that's not where I was taking it, but yes, I do agree with that. I was saying, trust yourself as far as like decision-making and self-doubt because they will do that thing where it's like, they got to make a decision and they are so afraid of making the wrong decision. And I say this because I was one of those kind of Mormons. It's probably not all Mormons that feel that way, but where I was so afraid of making a decision that I would want to offload that decision to someone else, like to my bishop or my husband or pray and like god like tell me exactly what to do with my google life. google lds.org uh, and see if you can find it find the answer <laughs> right right and so i think that um i think that I, I don't i wouldn't even entirely blame this on the church i would blame it somewhat more on culture like the social culture that that exists right now of like the you um you are treading so in such dangerous territory if you make a mistake, you know, and you get so paralyzed by that because you're so afraid of making a mistake that you're just going to spin in your self-doubt instead of like just 
trying to be rational, like, oh, hey, let's try this. And then we'll, you know, we'll work it out later. And that that was just so hard for me. I was paralyzed with decision making. So I think one thing Mormons or Mormonism could do better is to give you some room to breathe. It's okay to make mistakes. Like just try, you know, try your best. Yeah. Emphasize the struggle, not the destination. Yes. Yeah. I think. Yes. Well, I guess you're probably asking that in the context less of like, what could individual Mormons do to better their life, which just is what the, uh, the Latter-day Saint yeah. world, you know, like what could like, they do better? Even if it is the culture, like what could it, what could there be better there? Well, so you're about, this, this is you're all about like, you're all about bridging gaps and stuff like that. So you're saying like, what could they do to bridge the gap between people no. who've left or? No, this is on the same thing of things you miss. What can a secular world do better? What can the Latter-day Saint world? That's kind of, you, you're answering it. That's, this is on topic. Yeah, of, yeah. I, that, I mean, that's, that whole emphasize the struggle. Like I grew up thinking that you weren't supposed to struggle publicly, you know, mm. you were supposed to do that all on your own and then present the finished product to the church on Sunday. Um, yeah. And that's, actually I mean, their whole, their whole thing, like that's one of atheists will have this, this criticism of Christianity where they'll be like, Oh, you're saying that like a, a murderer could, be forgiven on his deathbed and and go to heaven or whatever and and they say it like it's this sort of checkmate and but then the christians are always like yeah that's that's the point like, <laughs> you saying he deserves it and like first off i i can't say what people deserve but him not deserving it is sort of the point like that's kind of what forgiveness is so they'll emphasize that a lot of christianity will do that they'll emphasize this struggle and how like nobody's perfect and mormons say that and they kind of just give it service you know they kind of just say like oh nobody's perfect um but perfect <laughs> yeah that definitely exists i that is something i learned um i've learned in the last couple of years is you get stuck if you don't move Right. Well, that, that's stupid. Okay. So what I mean is, <laughs> is, is, yeah, you get stuck if you don't move. But the point is, is like not being able to know what the right decision is and just avoiding it and not making a decision. You're stuck if you're doing that. And so being, having the courage to just make a move, even if it's wrong, they find out it's wrong and then correct, you know, like, I mean, there's some decisions we make in life that are um, bigger than others, that it's a bigger mistake, right? But I think that if you don't, if you don't address things, the dragon grows; it gets bigger. You know, right? There's the mistake of not making a choice too. Just that, stick, yeah, being stuck, yeah. I think, is one of the worst things uh, for a human. I think that's that's how I would describe the last three years. And it wasn't all bad, right? Like there were some times where I was, I felt fine. But when I was practicing, I was losing my belief in like supernatural things, right? And so, and I, I felt stuck. That is the best way to describe it. Like I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it because that would be me admitting that I have a problem. So I didn't, I kind of wanted to pretend there wasn't a problem. Um, I listened to Lord, I believe by elder Holland all the time, because he was basically saying in that talk that you can lean on his testimony if you don't have a testimony. And then that would keep me going. Like it would keep me 
acting kind of, but it's like half-hearted acting because I just knew I had a problem and I couldn't fully address it. And, and so I just, yeah, I would say that's the best way I can say it is it, here's the thing. If I'm wrong about leaving the church, I think it was better for me to leave the church and act on something and do something than it was for me to just maintain that being stuck forever, yeah. like for the rest of my life. Like yeah. if I've made a mistake and maybe it's a big one and maybe I'll end up back in the church. Right. I don't know. Mm. I doubt it. <laughs> like I'm really, happy that I, I'm really happy that I was able to just move, but, um, but that's one. Sorry. So anyways, that's, that's what that reminds me of with what you guys were just saying. It's just thinking for yourselves and like, just, not being stuck is how I thought of it. I remember when I was contemplating leaving the church and that was back when I was still really scared of what people thought. And I was kind of meditating on it. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know what to do. And like the thought that was coming to me was like, I can't leave. I can't leave because I can't handle what all these people are going to think of me. And that's when it clicked for me that I was like, now I have to leave. I have to, because even if the church is true, I can't stay here because of I'm afraid of what everyone thinks. That's so wrong. So I have to let go of what everyone thinks before I can even like decide if I want to be Mormon at this point, you know, because the, the, the problem might not be Mormonism. The problem might be just overcoming this fear of what people think. And that can really mess with how you live your life. And so, so going back to that whole that self-doubt, right? When you're trying to make a decision, you don't know which decision to make. You got to think of like realizing when you're stuck in those moments of self-doubt, you got to see it as a growth opportunity because you have to get over that fear of making a mistake. And the only way you will get over it is by making a decision and being okay um, and seeing that you're going to be okay with what the consequences are. So you have to you have to treat it like, okay, this, it's not this issue. That's the problem. It's my self doubt. That's the problem. It's my fear of failure. That's the problem. And I can overcome that by making a decisive decision. You know, what helps me with that too, just it's kind of a little tangent, but really last thing about that was that I would set a deadline. I'd be like, I have to make a decision about this thing by this day. Or sometimes I'd only give myself 30 minutes. Like you have 30 minutes and then you have to decide <laughs> because otherwise I would just think about it for eternity and never make a decision. And it would stress me out the fact that I hadn't made the decision. So those things were kind of helpful to me to, to kind of get better at that. Are there ex-Mormon truths that you have found out are not true? Like, and if so, what are they? Does, it, does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. An ex-Mormon truth that seems to, <laughs> they'll never outright state it, but is absolutely throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> you know, it's they, they are wrong about everything is what it's the feeling that I got when I left. And particularly and the ex-Mormons are turning around on this because society in general is kind of slowly starting to turn around on this. It, like the issue of porn. <laughs> I remember having left the church. I was at my friend's house and he was asking me, he had left a long time ago and we were all, you know, drunk. And he's like asking, um, he's asking about standards and, and stuff like that. And he, he broached the subject of porn and, and I was like, you know what? I, I, I still, there's something, I don't think that, I don't think it's good. I don't, I don't like 
don't like porn. I, I think there's something wrong with it. And I can't quite place my finger on it. And he's like, that's just your Mormon conditioning, man. And I was like, I don't think it is, man, because I'm, I'm drunk off my ass right now with you. Like last week I was at your house uh, and I did shrooms and showed you the temple handshakes. I don't like, and I don't have no guilt about that, <laughs> but um, you, but this, I think there's something wrong here. And I think they are very quick to call things uh, conditioning. That, that is one of my biggest criticisms of wokeness is that they do kind of think everything is socially constructed. Um, everything is socially enforced. A any norm we have is because of social enforcement. Like the, there is no real difference between men and women. That's all, you know, a patriarchal structure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the problem with porn is it's not the porn itself. It is the fact that you're wasting time. It's that you are on autopilot, that you're not like actively engaged with what you're what you're doing. And this is a thought I've had. And it's the same problem. I don't have a porn problem. I have a YouTube problem. <laughs> so like I'll get on YouTube and just waste hours. And I'm like, man, I could have actually done something. And sometimes I'm learning stuff. So it isn't all that bad. Um, but it is, um, I, I think you don't feel good when you're on autopilot. I, I, I say that a lot because I, I think we have to kind of be intentional about what we're aiming for and then getting, making progress toward that thing. I, I think that that's when we feel the best. And I don't know that there's necessarily like, I don't know what's true about that. I don't know what like the meta story is of that, but I do know that like when I'm aiming for something and getting closer to that thing and seeing progress toward that thing, I feel better. And I don't yeah. think you can have that doing these activities that are not that even, even video gaming, you're aiming for something like passing off a level or something, but I don't know that you have that with well, porn as much. Right. With porn, with video games, with YouTube, the thing that those all have in common is dopamine, right? Dopamine's mm -hmm. that, that chemical in your brain that floods you with that happy feeling. And so part of like being what makes being present so hard, right? Because I think for me, like I strive to yeah have goals I'm working toward and, and to be present with my family, you know, when we're having family time and mm -hmm. be present with my kids and give them that attention. And the problem that, that porn and YouTube and phones and all those things have that make that so difficult is that dopamine the amount of dopamine that your brain releases when you're watching something so stimulating as porn or a video game or things like that is an absurd amount. And it's more than is released when you play violin or when you play with your kids. Like, and so it creates this feedback loop in your brain where you actually become addicted to those other tasks and you stop doing the things that are more meaningful because they don't give you as much of a dopamine sensation. They've done a study with rats where they they hooked up. There was like a lever that the rat could pull that would release dopamine. And the rat pulled it over and over and over again till they just pass out from exhaustion. They would just pull it over and over again because it would release it. And I feel like that's what that's what we as humans, our brains tend to that. I've heard Jordan Peterson say once, like people say, why are all these kids on drugs and alcohol and doing these things? And he's like, why are there any people that aren't? Because that is. <laughs> That feels way better. That feels way better 
you know, than the alternative. And, and one more rat story that's really interesting about that is that for rats that are living in their normal habitat, you cannot get them addicted to cocaine. You can't. And that is, that blows my mind. Like, because they're doing their thing. They're working on their survival. They have purpose. They have meaning. And it's, hmm. it, and that's just so interesting to me that it's, it's when you're devoid of that meaning and purpose that things can get, get scary, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess I'd say a, an ex-Mormon truth that I had to unlearn was, and they'll never say this explicitly, but hedonism. <laughs> it's kind of just, you know, do what feels good always, oh, you know? Oh, like, I see, I see, I see. Oh, like so the, just give in to the natural man. The natural man is not a real thing. Yeah, basically yeah. something like that. And and because you, you do feel pretty constrained when you're Mormon because they, they have some good rules and they have some dog shit, worthless rules. And you feel very constrained. And then once you get out, you're like, oh, I can do anything. anything. <laughs> I don't like I can go smoke cigarettes or whatever. Like, no, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> right, right. Or I can go I think, sleep around. Yeah. Or I, yeah I, right, so right. I think most ex-Mormons understand that to some degree, even if they don't say it, because most of them don't go out and start smoking cigarettes. But a lot of them do think like, because I've talked to so many people who, as soon as they leave the church, they, they think of all of usually sexual, they think of all of the like sexual conquests that they missed out on in their late teens and early 20s. And however long they were in the church. And they, they just fixate on the life that could have been as if it would have been a lot better. Like, if only I could have slept around a bunch when I was in my early 20s, that would have been awesome. Like, yeah, and then you'd just be totally fine right now. Like, you'd just <laughs> be like, yeah, I got to do that. Now I'm fine not doing it ever again. That's just a thing you could stop doing once you're 28 years it's just old. Just a phase. You grow out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a couple more. Um, I don't know if I can bring this up or not, but when I can I went, cut it out later if you want. <laughs> you can you cut it out if you want to. I just I remember oh. when I was just leaving the church, and there was a vlogger uh, talking about ex being ex Mormon and all the reasons why, and and how um, she had this experience in church where because uh, her boyfriend at the time was I don't know Mexican or something, and was and she was just railing on how racist her ward was. And um, the exact, the only example that she could give was that someone said, Hey, just so you know, like the, the Spanish branch meets at this time or whatever. <laughs> and um, I was like, what? Like, that's not racist. Like that, that person's trying to do a nice thing. And I grew up in St. Louis. So like, I grew up, there was a lot of black people that were in my ward and that were my friends. And like one of my very best friends, like growing up, like he was, in all my Sunday school classes with me. And I just, I didn't, I didn't think that Mormons were these evil racists that the ex Mormons were, were claiming that they were. And I've, I've never been convinced otherwise well, as of yet. I'm excuse her. She hasn't read D'Angelo. Okay. <laughs> she has some work to do. She has a knapsack to unpack. Sure. Um, sure. She has some white fragility. I can tell right now. Yeah. No, I, so I, I'd say one of the things that you had to unlearn is this, and this is a big criticism I have of the Lynn and wokeness in general. 
and you see it in the ex-Mormon world is his whole, he constantly is harping on this systems, not people, right? Um, and you're criticizing the church as a system. You're not criticizing the individuals within it. And the problem with that is it's very black and white. You, it's, well, that's one of the problems with it. It's black and white. And it's also, um, you can blame anything bad that happens on the system. Anytime, like if there's a Mormon that goes out, there were those, I, there were those kids in, I think it was Draper that were walking around in blackface this year for Halloween. And I, you like, if you think systems, not people, you think, oh, it's not their fault. It's the Mormon church's fault that they wore blackface because it's just this easy. It, it dressed feels, up as Lehman and Love You. No, it's, it's <laughs> lazy to me because you're like, oh, I can blame every terrible thing that these individuals do on Mormonism, even if there's not really anything in Mormonism that says, yeah, go out and wear blackface, or go out and you know say the N word a bunch of times or something <laughs> like like. There's nothing in Mormonism that says go out and treat other people poorly. So when people do that, they're assholes. But that's a John DeLynn thing when that whole Brad Wilcox thing came out and he was, um, and John DeLynn was really going after not Brad Wilcox, but the church, like these beliefs that he has, the, the faux pas that he committed here, it's the church's fault, not his fault. And we got to, I don't know, I'm going on, but that's. I got you. Hmm. Uh, you had another one, Morgan? Thank you. I got two more. Um, being a woman in Mormonism was way, way harder than being a man in Mormonism. Oh, I have that one too. That's good. I just, I don't think that that's, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I didn't want that for myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, just, I think it was different. I think it was just different. Yeah. It was hard in different ways. And I yeah. think it's, I think it's extremely arrogant to be like, Man, you can't complain. We had it way worse than you. Like, oh my God, you are insufferable. Like, do you have friends with that kind of attitude? Like, that's so unkind, you know? It's not a competition. And that's the thing is it is a competition, right? It's a competition to see who's the most victimized. I don't agree that it, that um, women had it harder than men. I think it depends on the category. When it, when it comes to like... Um, certain aspects it was harder for women and when it came to other aspects it was harder for men it was hard i'm sure it was hard for men to feel this mantle of responsibility as far as like financial and and um it was hard for them to feel like they had to have so many kids when you know with all that pressure of being the financial you know holder and then the priesthood stuff like yeah women always complain like men got the priesthood and we didn't it was so unfair it's like okay, yes, but like men were, were treated with this mantle of responsibility of like your righteousness could be called into question at any moment. And you may have to lie so you don't look bad. And that's just so uncomfortable, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that there's there's difficult things on both sides of it. And I don't I don't like that ex-Mormons treat it like a competition. Well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even... I wouldn't say that the stuff that ex-Mormon, like on the Lynn, what they say about women is necessarily not true because it's definitely they're pulling at and they're criticizing things that really are a problem. My promise is that they don't highlight equally that what you were just saying, like that exactly. there are some um, guys in the church have it tough. Like, yeah, they, it's a single income household. If you're living the traditional TV and lifestyle, 
your wife is staying home. You have a crap ton of kids and it can feel like you're a paycheck. And then so the, on the, on the like lifestyle side of it, which doesn't feel good. Um, and then on, so like just as much as like women feel like a maid service and a cook men feel like a paycheck too. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. Um, and one thing I've noticed since I've gone back to work is that I miss the time I had to like do play dates and then have other adult time where now I have some adult time with my coworkers, which is also a good thing. I, I I'm enjoying that, but I don't have enough time for my mom friends anymore, which sucks too. Yeah. So yeah. there are some, so yeah. Like, and that just goes back to the unfairness. Like it's just not, it's just not fair sometimes. Um, we should probably mind our own penises and let Jerry <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> it's my <laughs> experience as a man. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, so I think my, <laughs> I, I think my issue with the way that they talk about this kind of thing on Mormon stories is that if somebody were to raise the issue, well, in some ways it's harder on men because you can bring up things like, we're expected. Like we have to go on missions. Yeah. Women don't. I didn't know that by the awesome. way, until I had an argument with my husband about it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. But if you want, I can, I'll share it after you're done though. Go ahead. Well, that's just one of the things It would have been nice to have an option it, or feel like it was optional. Um, but, or, you know, we go to priesthood session and like, I found a talk by Quentin L. Cook that is just LDS women are amazing. That's the name of the talk. And he just talks about how great women are. <laughs> But then we go to priesthood session and they're like, you guys really suck. Okay. <laughs> Stop looking at porn so damn much. <laughs> um, so I could point that out and I can already hear it in my head. It's the voice of Cara Burrell saying, yeah, patriarchy hurts everybody. Like you're, oh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> the feminist response is always like, like everything is the fault of patriarchy. And when you say, well, it, this, these, this, this, and this sucks for men, they'll be like, yeah, patriarchy. It's like, what kind of shit system have men set up to where it sucks for them in multiple ways? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't feel like I have institutional power over you right now. I got to go out for two years and, and talk to people about Jesus and hate every moment of it. <laughs> so... I thought because, I mean, we don't have the same lessons from like 12 to 18, right? Like we're separated during uh, young women's and young men's, right? And I didn't realize when I was getting fed the, you know, our stuff, the guys were getting fed their stuff. And I didn't realize it wasn't a choice because from my perspective, it was like, yeah, I needed, I want to marry a return missionary, right? That was the highest thing. And maybe it's because like... I have family members that didn't go on missions that I was, I knew they were good people. So I didn't think that that, like I, I could have possibly married someone that didn't go on a mission and it wouldn't have been the end of the world. So maybe it was just my own, you know, my own family upbringing that gave me that attitude. But, um, I, probably because I was like, no, I have to, I have to marry a return missionary. Yeah. I don't know so, what you were missing. <laughs> it was definitely had to be a member. Like I remember, I remember, um, yeah, I remember it had to be a member. Like I wasn't willing to, and if I knew somebody that wasn't a member, I wasn't willing to have them convert just for me to marry me. They had to actually have a real testimony coming from the Holy ghost, not 
just converting. You know what I mean? So there was, there was that, but, um, uh, so anyway, and then, I mean, we girls like pray about it, right? If you want to go on a mission or not. So I kind of assumed the guys were getting the same thing. I told my husband, I was like, Hey, you could have prayed and said no, and could have got a no. And he's like, that's not true. Like that is not true. Find that anywhere. And I took the challenge and I scoured LDS.org trying to find a place where like you could pray to go on a mission. It just doesn't exist. Like a worthy, a worthy, a worthy, healthy young man. God will not give you an answer to stay home. It it won't. Yeah. That's yeah. And I was like, I was first time I realized that was after I was already ex Mormon. So <laughs> Anyways, that's funny. I feel bad about uh, that. a bitch. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, um, I had I had one more, and uh, I so with sex, right? The, with in Mormonism, there's this this concept of like you don't have sex till you get married, right? And when you leave it, they're just like all bets are off, right? Just. Do whatever you Woo! want, open your marriages, you know, ruin your life because sex is hot. And uh, I, I think I'm really starting to lean more toward um, that ideal of like, um, I, I don't necessarily go so far to Mormonism as like you can't have sex without being married, but I think you shouldn't have sex without being very, very, very committed to somebody. And I think that there's a lot of good reasons for that, that Mormonism never taught us because they were just like, don't have sex because it makes Jesus sad. Or it makes you feel guilty and you up, right? Emotional damage and, you know, you know, reasons like that. And so I I lean more toward the Mormon view than I do the ex-Mormon view when it comes to sex. Yeah. And I would, it's interesting. It kind of goes back to the porn thing. I think part of the thing of like when you, you mess up, like you have this goal maybe to not have premarital sex and then it happens. I don't think that's the end of the world, right? Like you can still have a goal to not be promiscuous. Is that, I can't say certain words. Um, So you can still have the goal to be choosy, right? And then also like, it's, it's not like, it's not like you won't make it to the celestial kingdom. Like, so there's a, there's a, there are some things in, in Mormonism where I can see it really messing up, messing with people. And that's not good, but also, yeah, free, free for all doesn't seem right. Like when, if I were to hope something for my kids, it's that they would wait till they were married, honestly. <laughs> Cause yeah. I feel yeah. like it worked out well for me, but at the same time, yeah. I'm like, I, I'm, I don't want them feeling guilty if they don't choose that, but I, I'm more worried about, I'm more worried about their well being, And I think there's some wisdom to being choosy. So I think so. Um, there was one thing I, I wanted you to tell your story. So, okay. So what you have a band, right. That you hang out with. Yes. You've found some communities outside of your like they're not based on ex-mormonism right like you found something to like kind of congregate around what talk about that i um i got sick of ex-mormonism pretty (laughs) pretty quickly after i mean a year or two i guess you know i i was like i was so it started to exhaust me because i only had ex-mormon friends and it started to like weigh on me so heavily that like these were the only kinds of conversations that we could have was about Mormonism. And I was getting so sick of it. And then I, one day I, um, 
uh, met a friend that was never Mormon and was never ex-Mormon because she was never Mormon. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was so refreshing to hang out with her because I was like, I don't have to talk about it. Like I could just be me. And I'm like, who the fuck am I? I don't even know. I'm so excited to find <laughs> out. Like, and so that showed me, like, I was, I really like needed some, some different friend groups. So, so I did, I started a band with a couple friends, one ex friend, one Mormon friend. And that was super fun. And, um, and, and then I also um, got really into pickleball, which was a great other way to make a community because uh Again, half of them are Mormon. Actually, most of them are Mormon. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's less of us that aren't. Um, and it just feels good, like because we don't we don't talk about religion. We talk about pickleball, like you know, because that's what they're that's what we're there to do, and that brings us together. And then I also, you know, have like my mom friends, and so I, I've kind of been establishing these different communities based off of common interests instead of based off of common trauma, right? <laughs> um, and uh, in my band, my Mormon friend was the one that was like, Hey, let's do, let's do a gig together, um, at my ward talent show. And I was like, hell yeah. Like that sounds super fun. Like, and so me and, you know, the other ex Mormon gal and the Mormon friend, we all went to her ward talent show and we, we played together and it was just super fun. And I loved it. And then she invited us um, she invited our band, you know, to go play at church as well. And I was like, I was just excited. I was just excited to have someone to play with and excited that I belonged to something that made me feel good because music is a big passion of mine. And so I didn't care that it was at church that we were playing. I was just happy to have listening ears that were happy that they didn't have to listen to each other sing because most of them are bad singers. So, you know, <laughs> win-win. That's awesome. I love that. I think that's really cool. And I think that's, I think most of us realize that that's where we, what we need to spend our time on and do. And I think, I think people do it, but maybe um, if someone needs permission, they're listening to us, that's will help them get encouragement to do that. I don't know. Oh, I do yeah. feel like you can get stuck in like the ex Mormon uh, bitterness and resentment, which I went through it. And so I get it. And I'm not going to say anyone's wrong for going through it, but hopefully you can. It. Yeah. Girl, well, part of the problem, part of the problem that goes against you is that ex like Mormon history is just like <laughs> uniquely fascinating. Yes, like, people that's who didn't true. Up, yeah, and people who didn't grow so up Mormon, much. they'll yeah. get into it. There's so it's where it's it fascinates even your normal person. It's gonna really envelop somebody who grew up Mormon. Yeah, and has never learned any of it before. <laughs> Yeah. That's well, true. and and lastly too that I think I think reason we hold on to that ex-Mormon identity longer than we should is because um for a lot of us who were raised Mormon, we didn't have a personal identity um and Mormonism was something we cling to 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 have as a pretend identity. So then when we lost that it felt so scary because it was like I don't know who I am without this one like shred of identity that I had. And that's why it's easier for people to leave that didn't have their identity so wrapped up in it. Um, so what I see is the more insecure you were, the more Mormonism uh, you latched onto it for your identity. So then the more you latched onto ex-Mormonism for your identity, because it's scary not knowing who you are. And it feels safer, like having some kind of identity to cling to, even if it's an anti-identity. Yeah. Probably some 
Truth to that. So what do you hope for in like ex-Mormon world content? Like, don't you wish that we could just talk to the John Dolan types? Like, I have this, I I was so excited when RFM did his debate with uh, Midnight Mormons. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, there's like an unwillingness to talk to each other. I don't know. I just, I wish, I wish there would be more crossover, I guess. Well, so like, there's a few people who are willing to do crossover, right? There's like RFM is pretty good about it. Um, and there's Jonathan Streeter, who's been yeah. several times. Yeah, that's true. Done stuff with Midnight Mormons. Um, but like, I don't know. There's this. I, I always, John DeLynn, I've heard him complain about not being able to get um, active Mormons on his show. And I'm like, but like, you berated Rod Meldrum for like four hours, calling him racist and homophobic, and and telling him he should denounce his prophet. So like, why would any Mormon talk to you? Yeah, you, you know, you're not an interviewer at that point. You're just scolding somebody, and that's stupid. You you look like a jackass who's scolding a child. And this guy came on here in good faith. I listened to that. I just happened to listen to that one because I hadn't listened to Mormon stories in a long time. And then I saw this Heartland model pop up and I had heard about it. I was like, that sounds goofy as hell. This guy thinks that all of the Book of Mormon took place in North America. It's amazing. I got to listen to it. And I, I listened to the whole thing and they barely even touched on his theory. They just chastise him for for the Book of Mormon. They'd be like, oh, the Book of Mormon says that um, the skin of blackness was a curse. And he's like, ah. And they, and they were just, that's evil, right? You would denounce Brigham Young, right? And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, wow, super racist. <laughs> so push it on the crossover. Well, and okay, so... I haven't been around since I didn't realize how long you guys have been out. So I've only been. So right before COVID is when our collapse of belief happened. And then we were very easily, we were able to like slip away because COVID. Right. So. um, I've way to do it. So when I, when I first was listening to Mormon stories, I was addicted. And so, I mean, he was only releasing not that many. I didn't feel like. And so I was listening to a lot of old stuff. In, 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 in between the stuff that he was that was new that was coming out and I remember having this feeling of like his old stuff was not woke but his new stuff was yeah. and that, that's the way to where to I, I don't even like using the word woke but it's it's the easiest just yeah I'm with you <laughs> it became very preachy yeah, just you could tell there were ideas of critical theory, like just enveloped in there, right? And by the time I'd left the church, I already was well aware of like James Lindsay and the and and Peter Bogosian and doing the um, the hoax papers and yeah. all that stuff. So I, I was aware of what kind of was going on with um, academics and stuff, and how. Yeah. Anyway, and it and it. I don't know. To be honest with you, like, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm in my own little cult. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm right about all this stuff, but I'm definitely critical of social justice and the idea of systemic racism really bugs me. It feels like a faith claim to me. 
Um, well, it's a faith claim, and it's a it's a, a a claim of original sin. It's something you can't get away from, and it's just a brand that's stamped on your forehead from birth. Yeah, like as I feel like as I'm becoming a better person, it's better to not assume that people mean anything by things that might offend me. Like maybe I can improve myself and frame it in a way that it's like I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I think the idea behind like having a critical lens and stuff is like the opposite of that. You give people not the benefit of the doubt. And so they say something innocuous and then all of a sudden you're like, that was racist. Like, I, I don't feel like that hurts people that think like that more than anybody. Like if you have a mindset that the world's out to get you, you'll be able to find lots of ways the world's out to get you. Like it's right. easy it's, to be a victim. Right. It's assuming the worst <laughs> intention from what someone said instead yeah. of the and you know the best interpretation you could give it of like giving them some leeway it's like i'm gonna just assume you had the worst intentions and when you said that and also i'm never gonna forgive you for it by the way (laughs) right so anyway i just remember going through his his stuff was so good because it did make me feel like i was not crazy and i I hear stories and it was um yeah, it was, it was validating. I'm going to use the word, hate the word, but yeah, when he was interviewing people and I was just like, wow. Wait, sorry, what? No, was a, he was an interviewer back then. Now yeah. he's not. He's, yeah, he's a, a preacher. preacher. <laughs> yeah, he, so that was one of my favorite episodes. It was like four episodes in a row. They had uh, Brian Hamels, who was like my favorite apologist ever because he's so wacky. And like he knows more about Mormon polygamy than probably anybody. And he always, he comes to just the dumbest conclusions about it. And it was funny to listen to. And John interviewed him back in the day. And, and the guy said some crazy shit about how, like, well, why would, I mean, he didn't need revelation to start baptizing people. So why would he need revelation to start practicing polygamy? And, like, John gave him some reasonable interviewer pushback saying, okay, but, like, maybe a detractor or, like, maybe if somebody were to say this, what would your response be but he was really like even-handed for the most part if i remember right but i felt like he did a good job too uh he would also yeah and he would also do a pretty good job of like um if someone was describing how they felt like they were living he would give the thing that your mormon brain would do like the excuses your mormon brain would make for them doing that thing and then he'd push them on that thing too i'm trying to think of an example But it just was really nice because those same questions kind of came into my head and then he would vocalize it. And it's like, oh, that's really cool that he was able to ask them that question that I would have wanted to ask them too. you know, how did you know? How did you know it wasn't Satan? Or That's a stupid example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. um, So anyway, I found his newer stuff was was not uh, as it's fair. It wasn't, I don't know. Religion. It's the, the, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it's religious. Yeah. Yes. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Um, it would be interesting to have a conversation with John Dolan about that. I, I wonder if, if one thing that's been interesting, I've developed a friend group and there have been people that will say to me privately things that they won't say when the whole group's around. I don't think this, I don't think people are as religiously on board as it looks like, but people are afraid to say what they think. 
Um, right. Which is really sad. And I don't think, I think as long as people just kind of voice up and not, and not to be a jerk about it, right. But just be like, you know, I'm a little skeptical of that or whatever. I think we need to have more people just kind of be like that. And then maybe we'd find out that the ex-Mormon John Dillon Facebook group isn't as culty as it really is. You know what I mean? Maybe there's just a few loud actors and that's it. And it's just, there's right, nothing to right. be afraid of. <laughs> but the loud, so, but I would just saying. say that the loud actors are the ones that get what they want. Maybe they're pandering to these people just because they're so loud. Is that what you mean? Yeah, well, it's yeah. the squeaky wheel gets the oil type thing. Yeah. And I like, don't know. I've, I've been, it's the Mormon in John Dillon that doesn't want to deal with the controversy, right? No, he just like, wants to be, like, he just, he'll do, he'll have whatever opinion it takes to, you know, get views and stuff. But, Maybe. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe he's I, down, maybe he's gone down this road so much that it's like a, a thing of like audience capture or something, right? Is that yes, what you're saying? Yeah, I was actually about to say that. Like there there is such a thing as audience capture where you get brainwashed by what your audience is wanting and expecting from you and that can really throw you off the rails, which is why I think it's so important as a content creator that you have to really like point your compass somewhere that like it has to be you have to be aimed at something so strongly that you can subvert the, the crowds that are cheering you on in the wrong direction and the people that are shouting you down for saying the truth you have to be really founded on some principles that can keep you guided um in the right direction because um there will always be someone who cheers you on always no matter what you talk about you could talk mm -hmm. about how you know, you could like you could find people that would cheer you on when you say terrible things, like actual racist things. There would be people to cheer you on for that. And you have to be aware of that as a content creator. So I think it takes a really strong person to be able to withstand that audience capture. And that's not an easy thing to do for anybody. Yeah, I'm not sure it's even possible, to be honest. Like I'm okay <laughs> that I have no followers. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, one thought on that, and I've thought of this, when you hear why John Dolan keeps doing this, so he does says it's not for the money, it's for all of the messages that he gets of people saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've heard RFM say the same thing, and I've heard Bill Real say the same thing. And I'm just like, oh, that's not a very good reason. I'll be honest, I've had some messages too. And so it's like, okay, I don't think, I appreciate the messages because I also hasn't had not nice messages. <laughs> so sure, it's like, sure. I, the reason I don't think that's a good reason is because Joseph Smith probably got people saying the same thing. Right. And, and elder exactly. Nelson or prophet, whatever, not elder, um, the prophets and all the apostles probably get lots of messages as well. And so messages of people saying, thank you, isn't really, does that, does that make sense? Like that's not but, a yeah, reason to so keep doing it. But it's the it most. Be but it's the most virtuous reason. No, no, it's 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 the the attention whore inside of people. No, what I'm saying is yeah. that's that that appears to be the the most virtuous reason you could possibly be doing this is to change oh, lives. You know, I see, I and see. so you can't say like, yeah, I'm I do it for the money, which I'm fine with. John Dillon making money, like I'm a capitalist for hell's sake. Like I, <laughs> right. um, I don't I don't have a problem with. Uh, the money-making aspect either. And I, I'm just saying, I think I, I trust, I think, I think what I'm saying, if you got messages all the time saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
that would be hard to not take as evidence that you're doing something good. Right. Which is the whole audience capture thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that like, I, like my, my suspicion is that John Deling cares. He likes the fame more than the money, but he needs them both. That's, that's my, I don't know. I, I, I don't know him good enough. Um, I actually think that if I knew him in person, I think he'd probably be a decent person. Like I actually, he seems. We're not saying he's an indecent person. We're saying that he's hungry for fame. That doesn't make him a bad person. You know no, what I mean? I, I don't think that. Yeah. I don't. I don't think so, though. I guess I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. We don't have to. Agree. I don't. But yeah, I will yeah. say that it's it's definitely a potential for anyone in social media work. You know, whatever. It's it's a potential that that hunger for fame can cause you to devour yourself for your audience. You know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you lose yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guy that had like a video where he ate stuff, and he the after school video. It, uh, that's what we're oh, going after school. But after school did a video talking about audience capture and how you mm -hmm. can be brainwashed by your audience, and um, and they used Nick Accato, Nick uh, uh. Nick Perry as their example, which mm -hmm. is a perfect example because he started YouTube, uh, eating vegan and playing violin, and he now he's. Um, he's the biggest 400 pounds <laughs> and he's a disaster and, and it's all to please his audience and to make money right because now he relies on that money mm -hmm. for for being this massive wreck so yeah yeah i'm not shitting on D john delin for saying that he likes the fame i think i think that no like, i understand that fame, I, like i think that's a thing that people want so i don't I don't fault him for wanting. I'm just saying that's my suspicion is he values that more than he values the money. Um, I think he does value the money. Like, I don't think it's wrong to value. We should get him on. Maybe I should reach out to him so we can ask him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll do it. I've, uh, I, I I've don't seen them say it's... the last like several times I've had John Larson on, I've seen them do that <laughs> stupid thing where they're like, and we'd love to get a reasonable conservative voice on here. I'm like, okay, define reasonable conservative voice, okay? Because when you say reasonable conservative, you mean, okay, conservative that uh, thinks that Mormonism is completely bullshit, uh, says that uh, uh, Do you think they even take a, a Bill Maher liberal? Women, thinks all of these leftist <laughs> talking points. And like, you're not talking about a conservative. Shut up. Well, and, and I will just add to that. It's not wrong to want fame and money. We all, I think most people would want those things if they could have them. Not everybody, but I think a lot of people would. And um, I think it's wrong to betray yourself for those things. And I think it's very easy to betray yourself when you don't know who you are and you're not founded on solid principles. Sure. Okay, this is what I was going to say. I, When I look uh, at ex-Mormon content creators, I actually feel bad for them because I feel like I don't know that I'm going to be here for very long because I don't think it's the best thing for me. And I feel bad that John delin has been in this for 10 plus years, right? Was it yeah. 20? 20, 20 years? Yeah. Yeah. And he could have moved on in his life and, and he's yeah. chose to stay here because I think he genuinely thinks he's helping people. But and I'm sure I don't know if he's created a place where he now is forever stuck in that phase of leaving. Saying. You know what I mean? I actually, 
it's like I have these mixed feelings of like wishing he would just move on for him his own sake and but also he does create interesting stuff too right like I'm glad that he's created what he's created and he's I've been able to go back and look at the some of the stuff right so it's like this selfish desire is keep doing it and this not selfish desires like I wish he could like go have a normal life too right like I don't I don't know but I relate with that same thing. I do with, feel like um, it's hard to find a career that can grow with you personally. You know, that, that can be hard to find mm. um, because we we're always growing. We hope we're always growing and that um, yeah, he's really locked himself into talking about, it. I really, I kept expecting him to start bringing on more like other of people from other religions, you know, cause that's what I started doing next. Cause you know, I did some experiment interviews and I was like, I want to see like, what else is out there? What, you know, and um, I thought he was going to start doing that, but he never really did. And I he had Chris Shelton on. So I'm just going to read Mormon stories um, founded in 2005. And this is their objective. Supporting, providing support to Mormons who are transitioning away from either Orthodox Mormonism or Mormonism altogether with particular emphasis on minimizing anxiety, depression, and occasional suicidality that can accompany transition away from religious orthodoxy, reducing the number of unnecessary divorces attributable to Mormon faith crisis, creating a community of support for liberal, progressive, and post-Mormons. So that's his number one goal. His number two is build greater awareness regarding accurate Mormon history, doctrine, theology, um, so that active believing Mormons and investigators can make informed decisions regarding their investment in engagement with the church. Three, identifying opportunities for growth improvement within the LDS church within border, broader Mormon culture. So <clears throat> I actually share in those goals, right? And I don't feel like he is adequately doing those because of how political his content has become. Like, I feel like by choosing sides on politics, and it's interesting because people will say it's not political. Like, oh, that's one of their favorite things to do is yeah. they got to make every issue like a life or death thing. Like if, if you want to have that discussion about like, if you really want to have a discussion about transgender um, issues. And it's weird by staying oh, neutral, like, you have taken a political stance. To yeah, I know. They say it's, you're with us or against us. Those are more radical if, people. If, like if you're against it, then like if and you're against any of the like transgender activism orthodoxy, then that means that like it's not political. You are putting people's you are literally causing harm. You're causing people to end their own lives or whatever. Right. It's every so, single progressive issue is not even political. That's that's one of the tactics they love to use. Right. And so I, I feel like these aren't actually what he's acting on. Like if this were actually his goals and he were wanting to help people that were in a faith crisis, then he wouldn't alienate the majority of Mormons who are conservative. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't understand yeah. how he could possibly be successful at doing these things when he's alienating alienate, and making people feel as much shame as the Mormon church makes people that had premarital, premarital sex have shame. He has yeah. them feeling that much shame for being conservative and being yep. skeptical of critical theory. Like I, I, 
<laughs> so anyways, and actually I've gotten to the point where I actually don't necessarily have this goal. I, I would like people to be informed. Like I, I, I like that idea of people making informed decisions before they donate 10% of their income. Um, there are sneaky ways that I feel like the church is able to get more and more money. So they don't tell you how much money to actually donate. They say, Oh, you, it's between you and the Lord, how much that is. And so yeah. when you get certain personalities, they will do weird things and donate a lot more money than they really need to be donating just because it's almost like if you have the thought that you could be donating more and you ignore that, that is the Holy Ghost trying to tell you donate more. And then, <laughs> yes, it is just yeah. a bad, bad as thing. a college student. I paid so much fast offerings, like, because I like, I, I wanted to feel good about myself and I wanted like, you know, blessings. You're and probably I probably wanted... making up for me, not paying any at all ever. <laughs> That's what it was. It was like, you need to make up for Jared's lack of, you know, love I think... for there are certain personalities that are going to do that because they feel like that's what God's telling them to do. And so by them leaving it open, it's really, they think they're probably doing a good thing because then it helps someone that can't make that much, pay that much still feel worthy maybe because they've negotiated. But I don't, I would rather them just say what it is. I, I don't know I, how to explain I, it. I disagree. I, I think you're giving them. I think you're giving them too much good intention. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. You're like, well, maybe it's like because they don't want people to feel like they have to pay too much. I'm like, no, it's because they know that their their audience is filled with a bunch of pansies are going to pay way too much. <laughs> Morgan, maybe that's true. Morgan was asking me. She's like, so I don't know, Marty. Like, what's she like? And I was like, okay, you know how I do that thing where I think that I give people too much benefit of the doubt and she's like yeah I was like yeah Marty does more of that <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true I don't I don't know and maybe I've had the other thought like maybe not standing for anything and like just letting other letting people be where they're at is not always good too like maybe you should stand for some things like I don't know. It's uh, I, I'm I'm not self confident enough in any of my views to feel like I'm right and someone else is wrong though. Like I just sure right, right. but at least you're willing to discuss it all and willing to have the courage to to not know, right? There, there's like a stage that you have to go through, obviously, where you're you're kind of just looking at things and people continually do this. Um, you're looking at things about different ideologies or or different groups and saying I don't like that. That's that's bad. I don't like that. I don't like that. And you can criticize it. And then eventually sort of say, why don't I like that? Well, I don't like it because it violates this core principle. And then you realize this is a principle that like is probably sacred to me, you know, probably immovable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, probably. And then you feel more confident because you're like, oh, yeah, like honesty, like no one can convince me that honesty isn't the right way to go. And then. And then you can kind of like, okay, so people who are doing this thing, I feel like I have the confidence to criticize them because I believe in honesty or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe we need more people around that aren't as cynical. It's just like it, it's difficult to like have been in this place for as long as I have and not become very cynical about, <laughs> about people online being willing to have discussions with me because – even the ones that want to come off as very reasonable and very willing to discuss things when I bring up 
concerns. They'll be like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then they just ignore me. You know, that's like the best case I've ever gotten is they say, oh, that's interesting. And then that's the end of it. They don't want to touch it because I said some of the, the unsayable things. And then, right. I don't know. Well, that's my that's my last thing. It's funny too. I don't think I'm as conservative as I definitely not as conservative as I used to be. Like, definitely moved on on gay issues, even trans issues. I am skeptical of the trans movement as a movement, but I don't have a problem with adults doing that, like I did. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's interesting because. <laughs> But I feel like I'm definitely on the outs as far as the Mormon stories community goes. Oh, I mean, yeah, I can yeah. tell I am because the posts that I like versus the posts yeah. that everybody else in there is liking are not the same. Yeah, well, relative to everybody else there, you're a, you're a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> ask ask any of them to describe. Definitely un right. definitely un 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 uneducated, right? Like I need to educate myself. Yeah, as, as soon as you start listening to people's lived experiences then I understand. <laughs> you'll start having the right opinions so i really like three practices right and mm -hmm. everybody on there everybody i am the only one that i feel like regularly participates that's as i'm the most conservative one that participates regularly we'll put it that way um and it's interesting because every time I've kind of voiced, had my two minutes. More than once, I've got the question, well, how do you think you would feel if you were Black? And they want <laughs> me to try to put my shoe, myself in their shoes, right? And it's it's interesting because they're not hearing what I'm saying, <laughs> you know, and that's their, I'd, I'd be curious to know how you would feel. And so uh, here's, here's one example. Someone said that um, they were, in kind of the boonies part of a, a town out in the rural and it was a black person and some guy came up to him and said some remark about hey where'd you get that tan or something like that and <laughs> he said he was explaining how racist that was and i was like hmm, that's interesting i don't think that's racist and so um and then anyway, so that was during his two minutes. And then when I had my chance to do my two minutes, because it was a Jordan Peterson circle that I had created. And I was explaining, uh, I can't remember how it came up, but someone had asked me the question in that same circle. Well, how do you think a black person would feel in that situation? And I basically said, I was like, I think it kind of depends on their political ideology. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think there's certain political ideologies that would be offended by it and others that would be like, oh, that person, either they wouldn't be offended by it or they would give them grace and be like, oh, they probably aren't around a lot of black people and don't know that's offensive, right? So like, are, you, are you trying to put forth the flagrantly racist idea that black people are not a monolith? Uh, that is, I, I do think that it kind of goes, it's, it's political. It has nothing to do with skin color. It's all politics. Wait, do like, you think that different black people have different opinions politically? Yes, I do. Those people aren't really black people. I'm starting to suspect that you also haven't read D'Angelo. <laughs> my husband, my husband has. That don't, it's terrible. I, it's, it's when I want to kind of read critical theory too. There's this idea, right, that it's like, they'll tell you to educate yourself, right? Yeah. 
And it feels the same to me as someone saying, well, you can't know that Mormonism is not true until you read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. You can't yeah. talk to me about Mormonism you until you do the homework. Yeah. Right? And, and then, yeah, if you do it and you don't get an answer, they'll say, yeah, you didn't pray right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and that's the thing with this critical, like I read White Fragility and I've read um, Unpacking the Knapsack and I don't know, a few Kimberly Crenshaw essays and and but they, it's never enough. They'll be like, "Oh, it's a good start." I'm like, "Look, how much do I have? To, how much of my time do I have to devote to a thing before I can safely say this, this is a this is a dog shit idea?" This well, you can racist. definitely, you can actually. I think it's coherent. It's a coherent worldview, kind of like Mormonism is a coherent worldview. I just don't think it's a. Uh, I don't think it aligns with reality as much as. Um, it's Mormonism. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think it aligns with reality. I just don't. Like there's just some tenets well, it, there that you're taking on oh, faith that I don't think lead to good ways to interact with people. I guess I'd have to define coherent because I, I don't think it is coherent. And it like just right down to definitions where they say um I, the definition of racism within critical race theory uh excludes white people from experiencing racism and states that all people all white people are racist inherently and that's just it's not a coherent thought that's... yeah but you have to understand that what they what they mean by racist is not what you mean by racist right yeah like, I know, that's being... what i'm saying is they have this weird definition that it like it excludes they don't actually think racism. racism like if you if you talk to talk to them they don't think that people should be fragile about being racist it's not like actually condemnation right it's like this you couldn't help it you were born in this system just like everybody else, right? So yeah, they I, sort of say that, but they also understand how people respond. Like they they understand what racism means to everybody else, right? So it's it's the Martin Bailey thing, okay? Mm -hmm. So they have the they have their definition of racism, which is this thing like, well, everybody's racist. You're born into it, you know. It's this thing you have, and it, it's an easy thing to criticize because you say. Or no, they they have the normal definition of racism, right? That's like um, prejudice based on race. And if they call you racist, you say, "I'm not prejudiced against black people." Okay, so piss off. And then they retreat to the mot, which is that whole, "Oh, it's just everybody's." Because what I'm saying is that they understand how the word what racism is perceived, and so them having this obscure definition of racism that almost nobody uses and nobody responds to accusations of racism as if it's just this, Oh yeah, it's just this normal thing. Well, the, and then so the other, I, yeah. And the other thing, it would be so much better for them to use the word like bias. Like everybody is biased. That would be a much, that's what they mean by when they are saying racist. Right. Well, kind of, but it's still only, it only applies to white people. And that's sort of, it violates, like one of the biggest things that Robin D'Angelo demonizes in White Fragility and all critical race theorists will demonize this is the idea of colorblindness, right? And yeah, that's that's sad. Which is basically Martin Luther King Jr., you know, like treat me as a man. They had those signs that say, Am I not a man? They didn't mm -hmm. say I am a black man. They said, like, I'm like you, okay? Like that's yeah. it's this like I I hold this Western liberalism to be this sacred sort of principle that that critical race theory's definition of racism violates completely 
Like it's absolutely illiberal. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. said, every time my white brothers will draw a circle around like to exclude me, I'm going to draw a bigger circle to include them. I'd rather look at black people as an individual than... Um, that's racist. <laughs> that's that's colorblind. Well, you know, and that doesn't even mean that they can't tell me, oh man, this, you know what's really hard about living in Utah is there's not a lot of black people and I feel this, 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 and this way. Like they can still do that. Right, yeah. but right. I, I agree. Like there are some things it's so interesting because there i think what people think critical theory is is that is like admitting you know teaching teaching the history of of slavery and stuff like that like well that's again you know, that's everybody is okay with that like and everyone is even okay with hearing what your perspective is and maybe i can be a little bit more aware and it kind of goes back to the elder bednar talk where um you try not to be offended, but try not to be offensive. Like both things can happen and we could live in a better place. It's yeah, not just one or the other. Not to be offended. Well, that's, so that's again, the whole Mott and Bailey thing, critical race theory itself. The definition of critical race theory is a Mott and Bailey that they'll retreat to. And they'll, they'll be like, okay, yeah, we want to teach critical race theory here or whatever. And you say, no, I don't like critical race theory. And they retreat to the Mott definition, the definition of the word that nobody in their right mind would be against, which is like, right. we just want to teach the real history. Like, what do you mean the real history? Oh, like that America had slaves. Yeah, I learned that already. I learned it in school. I remember learning about slave ships. It was very uncomfortable because it's like an evil practice that happened, but we learned about it. What do you mean the real history? Yep. 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 Yeah, that was fun. Thank you guys for coming on. I'll do a sign off because I always forget to do that. And then I have to cut it off. Like, sorry guys, I'm not very good podcast producer. Um, so yeah. Anyway, thanks for coming on. Fun discussion. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, have a nice night and we'll call it good. All right. See Peace. you Marty. Any last words, you guys? Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button if you like oh, what you shit. saw. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs>